Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special edition of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychic Medium Angelo, joined by my co-host, Dan the Man Sebastiano, and filmmaker, director, actor, producer, Mike Messier. Tonight, we're going to remember the life and legacy of Owen Hart, a man many called the King of Hearts. And uh, we'll get into that in just a minute, but we're going to do a little housekeeping. And so, uh, Mikey, let's yes. start off with you tonight. And uh, so tell me, what have we not missed this week in the world of wrestling? Well, I mean, the, Do the I want to know <laughs> um, as, as far as uh, the ins and outs of the wrestling business, uh, Drew Gulak, who was who had just uh, lost a match in the Intercontinental title tournament to Daniel Bryan. Apparently, yeah. uh, after that taping, he and the WWE are no longer working together. Um, depends on who you ask if he was released. One story goes that he asked for more money and then they decided to release him or not renew his contract. So, yeah, uh, I, th- I think it was actually a non contract renewal. Uh, if you want to get technical, I don't yeah. know if he'll be free to work uh, anywhere else in the, in the near future or if he's got a no compete clause. I'm not sure of all the specifics. He's got um, a 90 day no compete. Uh, that's it. It, it, it's a fairly straight up simple contract. He's got a 90 day no compete. So three months hanging around the house or, uh, you know, cutting his grass or doing his laundry, going shopping for the wife. And then he can get back to knocking on Tony Khan's door. Because <laughs> that's what it looks like is going to happen. Um, if, yeah. yeah, Mike, I heard the same thing. I heard it was a contract dispute. Um, if it's any consolation, if you know anybody um, has been following the news, there's a lot of turmoil right now in the halls of WWE. A lot of people asking for the release. A lot of people want to go now. They don't want to wait out their 90-day no-compete clause. Uh, some adamantly, including, by the way, a few women, uh, more than a few, six or seven that I'm hearing, uh, some surprising names among them, actually. And uh, you might be surprised to find out who and where they end up. Um, anything you can share you with us, that, Angelo, or no? <laughs> say, say again, Mike? Any, anything you can share with the audience or no as far as? Not right now. I may okay. be able to tomorrow, but not right now. 24 yeah. hours makes a big difference in this kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, maybe tomorrow, but we're hearing some very interesting names, uh, real interesting, especially on the female side. Interesting. Um, the other thing that happened, speaking of female wrestlers, Becky Lynch, I guess is for lack of a better word, Dan retired or on yes, the shelf he, or what, as, what's, uh, you know? despite what the internet community seems to, uh, always you know how conspiracies flow around here her pregnancy is very real she's obviously for that reason unable to compete stepping away now there's a debate now among reporters about whether or not she's going to be paid through her contract because there was whether or not there was a pregnancy clause involved um she of becky lynch's name came up a couple times several high profile commentators uh from jim Cornette and uh dave Meltzer have all given yeah. their opinions on it, some of which have set social media a bit of firestorm. Yeah. Uh, personally. Surprise, my, surprise, my, right, Dan? My, 
my opinion on the thing. Um, I, I kind of I don't agree with the view of of birth as itself, but I agree with the point Jim Cornette raised that by having her go out there in the teary eyed, uh, you know, they let me play this character for all these years and it's my dream come true. Becky Lynch's mantra is gone. She can never be the man. She can never be the last kicker again. Yeah. You, you, she her entire goodbye speech was I was playing a character. My dream came true. Yeah. And everything you just saw you saw me do was was, you know, I was acting. Thank you. And I mean, she, she could come back. She, who knows? But she'll never be able to be the man again. She's got to be a, just another human female performer who retired to have some kids. Dan, I will tell you, if there was any doubt as to whether kayfabe is dead, she just put the final nail in the coffin. Exactly. So uh, it's it's interesting because we had a very spirited debate in the last couple of shows, in fact, about kayfabe. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually interviewed uh, a man who I called the gatekeeper of kayfabe, Bill Apter. And uh, if there's any doubt as to whether great book. I haven't been able to put it down since I got it. It's a great book. I'm telling you. I have the audio version. Because I don't like to read. I like to listen. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think it was... Uh, it's going to come back to bite everyone on the ass, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, it's already bit Becky. It's going to bite the WWE financially. Because whether anyone wants to admit it or believe it, she was, in fact, the number one superstar in that company, male or female. That's right. They, they said she was the number one merch seller. She's the first person since he's kind of started to phase out that unseated John Cena. Yeah. And That's you, fact. I mean, you have a multi-million dollar box office attraction merch seller who... You know, and and most of that merch came from the man and the mantra and her persona, which is now yeah. completely shattered. I mean, how many it's more? Interesting. Do you know where she got the moniker "the man"? Do you know where that came from? Because she beat Ric Flair's daughter, right? No. Okay. Came Why? from Mick Foley. Okay. They were at a hockey game together, and Mick Foley, of course, you know he's got history with Ric Flair. Right. That was right. his veil, his veil dig at Ric Flair. <laughs> Call yourself the man. And she did. Yeah. Rick was going to sue her for a while. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was, you know, as I always like to say, that would have went over like a fart in church. Well, and I mean, it's funny because Seth Rollins uh, also took the, he called himself the man for a while. So you kind of right. had a three-way battle when she first started using it. Brother, if you made... A highlight reel of every wrestler that's ever called themselves the man. Right. You could have about a two and a half hour highlight reel. Yeah, what a terrible nickname. Why would anyone ever want to use that? (laughs) Hey guys, I gotta shit out of me. (laughs) I gotta I gotta say this though. We gotta remember that Becky Lynch, the Bellas, and, and a lot of these other female wrestlers, they're not designed and marketed to guys like us. They're marketed to teenage girls. Right. Because I think Stephanie McMahon especially is probably looking at that female market and a show like Total Divas, Total Bellas, and even you know Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey. They're trying to get the young female audience. Yeah. And so for one of them to see one of their heroes, Becky Lynch, transition into motherhood, and even if she takes two years off before ever, ever having another match, that's someone that young women can relate to. 
So yeah. maybe from the Jim Cornette perspective, it's a waste of a million dollars a year and, and all the things that he said. But if you're looking at it from a 13-year-old girl, 15-year-old girl, 30-year-old woman, they relate to having children. They relate to having the desire to have it all, the career and the then the kids, right? Absolutely, and the home life. Of course. So for them, that's the princess getting the 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 everything. She's got it all. So in a sense, well, uh, in a perfect world. <laughs> yeah, I, I and think. in a perfect world, that makes perfect sense. But we're talking about far from a perfect world. We know right. this. I, I, I mean, think too. If you look at um, uh, what was her name, Izzy, the little girl NXT that became real famous for being a uh, B- uh, Bailey fan. Yeah. You know, I think for every one of her who's going to look at Becky Lynch in some grandiose scheme, you you yeah. have three or four people, uh, like the the girls I watch wrestling with, who are now turned off by the product. And let's be honest, some of those girls that 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 might be Becky Lynch might be marketing to, they're not yeah. the ones buying the merchandise. They're not the ones paying for the. No, ticket. they're not. You, that's a very good point. No, they are not the ones buying the merch. People need to understand that. It's not the kids buying the merch. Right. It's mom and dad buying the merch for the kid. Exactly. So understand that. 13, 14-year-old girls don't walk around with three, 400 bucks in their pocket. Well, and that's the thing. You look at the numbers when they talk about, you know, the the highest selling items of the last decade or whatever. And you have your John, your John Cena youth clothes. But then you've yep. also got your Hulkamania T-shirt, your NWO sure. T-shirt and your Austin 316. It's not kids 12 and under buying NWO Hulkamania 316 shirts. That's that's what people our age. Sure. Of course. Of course. Well, that's the nostalgia factor as well. Exactly. It's also a market that has expendable income. That's true. And we need to remember that. <clears throat> well, now we have um, an interesting uh, turn of events here. Things are starting to open up a little bit around the country. And uh, there are some indie promotions uh, that are actually letting people in. I had a conversation the other night with Bill after I said, Bill. You know, we've gotten used to this empty arena era. What's it going to look like when uh, when people come back? How are they going to react? And he jokingly said, he pulls out his phone and says, let me call them all and I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> but the, the, the jest behind it was, is actually serious. You know, what what is it going to look like, Dan? Honestly, I think with as poor a quality as the empty arena shows have been, and that's across the board. AEW started well. Their last few shows have been incredibly disappointing and silly. Um, yeah. I think some of the crowds that would were going to the shows aren't going to show up. I, I mean, the, the the cable numbers and ticket sales are already we're already almost at their lowest. Oh I my think. god! I yeah. think some of your your indie promotions with your your popular local crowds. You know, here in Virginia, where you mm-hmm. are up in Philadelphia, they're yeah. still going to show up. I'll, I'll go support the indie oh, show. God, sure. I'm not tripping over myself to buy tickets next time SmackDown comes to Norfolk. Yeah. Mikey, where do we go from here? Well, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think, you know, it's one of those things where there's a balance between commerce and risk of health. And I think that, you know, pro wrestling has kind of chugged along kind of under the radar doing these empty arena shows in AEW's case, they've put 
wrestlers in the audience. The last AEW taping, there seemed yeah. to be a few outsiders in the audience, maybe just a mm-hmm. few selected people that they put in the the stands yeah. at Daly's place in Jacksonville, not too far from me. So uh, where do we go from here? I think that's still a wait and see thing. But one thing that is clear is that these ratings continue to go down. And yeah. if you care about wrestling like the three of us do and the listeners to our show do, that's not something any of us wants to see as far yeah. as the ratings continuing to plummet. You know, I, I pointed out to Bill after the other night that uh, wrestling fans are a different kind of animal. They, yeah. they really are. You know, I have this sneaky suspicion that wrestling fans are going to pick up. Call me, you know, tell me I'm wrong, Dan. But I think they're going to pick up right where they left off, to be honest with you. I really I do. Your core audience will absolutely like uh, honestly look at like AEW. Their ratings really haven't shifted much. That yeah. that audience, the the Kenny Omega fans and your Young Buck fans, they're they're going to show up regardless. Yeah. Uh, your your people willing to drop four six hundred bucks for a front row seat at Raw every week or every time they're in town, they'll be there. Uh, I think really i mean that's the thing with the ratings drop is is it has a floor there's about a million what what 1.2 million give or take rating average of people that yeah. are watch wrestling every week it could be vince mcmahon coming out uh having a puppet show or triple h wrestling a broom handle and they would watch every week regardless yeah. and sure i think you're not going to lose that base so they'll they'll pick up right where you left off they'll your, always your have casual- their, yeah i i think dan you're right i think they'll always have their niche audience um, something that both Cornette and Russo have, as, as funny as, as much as these guys hate each other, right? How often they say the same damn thing. It's just, I shake my head because it's almost comical at this point, <laughs> but you know, uh, Cornette and Russo basically said the same thing. You know, they're the niche market is always going to be there. You're going to have, like Dan said, your core audience will never leave you. They don't care if Triple H wrestles that broom handle or if Vince comes out, you know, uh, with a, you know, a, a madam puppet, uh, you know, <laughs> hanging off his, you know, shlongy, you know, it doesn't, right. it doesn't matter. People are going to, to watch. Right. Oh, look, right. Vince has a puppet hanging from his cock. You Bray, Wyatt, Bray Wyatt's puppets have been over more so than a lot of the wrestlers in the past year. And that's a scary thought, brother. <laughs> yeah. Scary thought. Those puppets are bigger than Rocco at the Legion of Doom in 1992. <laughs> well, Dan, who, who would ever thought, Dan, that a white sock with black magic marker would get over on Mick Foley's hand? Right. Who, who would have thunk it? Yeah. Mr. Socko. Okay, for real. Okay. Hey, you know, some sometimes you get those little things that work, and sometimes you get you know you see those ideas, and it's like like the the, the goon or the gobbledygook yeah. where there's no way anybody in that room legitimately thought that was going to happen. Three dollar white athletic sock. Yep. With you a, know what? As, with a face all, drawn on it. As as over Got as it. that is, Mick Foley will spend pennies on the dollar selling merchandise for the rest of his life because everybody that comes to see him is going to bring a sock and 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 all he needs is a bag of sharpies and some dollar store tube socks and he'll make a kill in every appearance he makes 20 bucks a pop there you go yes sir 
Mike Messier. Yes. We're here tonight to uh, both uh, celebrate and remember a guy who left us way too soon, way, way too soon. Uh, probably in, in a lot of uh, people's opinions, uh, including so-called smart wrestling fans, Owen Hart may very well have been the best wrestler of the Hart family. Give me your thoughts and tell everybody um, uh, in synopsis the, uh, the career of Owen Hart, and then we're going to talk about what brings us to the dance tonight. As we know, Owen Hart, I believe, was 34 years old when he passed away, unfortunately, in St. Louis and unfortunately in a professional wrestling ring. Um, he died doing a stunt uh, as the Blue Blazer, where he would kind of, for lack of a better term, you know, fall into the ring or project uh, with a bungee cord type apparatus. Uh, as we all know, as has been discussed and will be discussed on Dark Side of the Ring this week, um, that clip was not designed for a man of his weight. Yeah. But we're, we're here to discuss the life and career of Owen. Owen started in a, the youngest of, I believe, 12 children of the Hart family. Uh, yeah. Brett Hart, Bruce Hart, uh, Diana Hart, who'd, man, who'd uh, married the British Bulldog years later, Davy Boy Smith. Mm -hmm. um, I believe Owen was the youngest, and his father, Stu Hart, was 50 years old when Owen was born. And yeah. Owen was known as the prankster. He was known as the one to pull ribs on his family, to pull ribs on his Indeed. wife, to pull ribs, practical jokes on the boys in the dressing room. From what I understand, they were never cruel or physically uh, hurtful to anyone, these ribs. They were good-natured, but they would get people, you know, oh, that Owen. Uh, he would imitate his father. He would call yeah. his he would imitate his father and call other people. And then sometimes he would call his father and imitate Reggie Parks or whoever and challenge yes. Stu to a match. I just listened to the Martha Hart uh, talk his Jericho podcast last night, and I would suggest that for further listening, if people want to hear Martha's point of view, um, Martha Hart and the wrestling world seem to, as far as the fans, don't have an agreement because a lot of people want to throw Martha under the bus for not letting Owen go into the hall of fame of WWE. We well, yeah. And I want you much, to hold, I want you to hold on to that subject. Cause we're going to take a deep dive into that right. later in the conversation. Well, Owen but, was, but a, thank uh, you for bringing that up. That's, sure. that's an important factor. Yeah. But Owen was a WWF tag team champion. I think two or three times with Yoko Zuna, uh, at WrestleMania 11, they beat the guns, the billion bark gun. And I believe he won it, I want to say twice with Davey Boy Smith. Um, Owen was also, I think, a two-time Intercontinental Champion. Uh, a lot of people don't know or forgot that he actually did wrestle in WCW. I think in the yeah, spring, early summer of 19, I want to say 1990, Angelo, uh, because he wrestled two or three matches on WCW Saturday night. Yeah. And uh, Owen was coming off the Rookie of the Year Award from Pro Wrestling Illustrated from your buddy Bill Apter. Yeah. And uh, Owen really got started in Calgary Stampede Wrestling, his father's promotion, because they were trying to save the company. Um, yes. He had experience in Japan. Uh, he would wear a mask when he first started wrestling. And as we know, he, he passed away wearing the blue blazer mask. Mm -hmm. uh, Owen had a great career. Um, I used to think that Owen probably was not going to, had he had lived longer, 
I used to think Owen was not headed to a WWE World Heavyweight title. I'm kind of changing my mind a little bit about that because if you think about the fact that Benoit, Guerrero, a lot of guys, Kurt Angle, started getting the WWE World title around 2004, 2005 that were technically based. Yeah, Owen would have been about uh, 38, 39, and maybe they would have made him a world champion in some type of angle with Eddie Guerrero or Benoit or something like that. So it's possible that Owen had a world title run in him. We'll never know at this point. Yeah. Dan, uh, you were, you're a young guy. Uh, so you would have been probably around, say 1999 is when Owen passed. Yeah. I was in high school. Yeah. I was going to say you were probably what, maybe 16, 17. What do you remember about, uh, Owen Hart? Well, I will say, uh, to your point, I agree. Even then, Owen Hart was, I, I, I thought he was the best of the Hart family. Um, I mean, the, my exposure at the, with the territory tapes we had to Stu and some of the other Bruce Hart was a little mm-hmm. lower. Um, but Owen was just pure charisma and talent uh, to go off. I mean, the fact that they could put him anywhere, you talked about his tag teams. Uh, Yoko Zuna, tag team champion. Uh, British Bulldog Tag Team Champion. He also uh, won the tag titles with Jeff Jarrett when they beat Shamrock and the Boss Man when they were still with the corporation. I mean, you, here's a guy, you put him with anybody in any situation, pure gold. The, yeah. The, the, the King he of was Hearts incredibly gimmick. versatile, Dan. Exactly. He, he was really also was. the, I mean, you don't, I wouldn't want to call him a high flyer of what we think about that term today. Yeah. But when he first started popping up and he was doing the big drop kicks and the, the t- spots off the second rope, it was especially as technically sound as Bret Hart was. It was yeah, it was impressive to see, and uh, his his WrestleMania match against his brother, often regarded as one of the best ever, one of my favorite matches. Yeah, the brother and versus a, brother angle that was uh, exactly, and, and that's a hard thing to pull off. It's it's been done. You know, many times in wrestling, and it's a hard thing to pull off the uh, brother versus brother angle. Absolutely. And to make it work effectively. Uh, Were it not for the fact that Brett and Owen were so damn good and knew each other so well, that would have been lost to history like so many brother brother, uh, versus brother angles. And not just... Um, Go ahead, Dan. I was going to say not just the the quality of the match, but Bret Hart wrestled again that night against a big man. Yeah. Owen Hart had to go into that match knowing he had to get 150% out of Bret Hart, but also had to be extra careful and 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 be extra safe and do everything he needed to do yeah. because the plan was going in. Bret Hart was going to wrestle again a couple yeah, hours later. Sure. And the last thing you know you needed was even the slightest botch and that was you could oh, see sure. that level of forced perfection in that match. Absolutely. You know, I got to see I, I, I want to point out I never met Owen. I've never met him. But I was in very close proximity to Owen when he was entertaining a group of young children at the Philadelphia Spectrum. They were in the press box. They were special needs kids. And I got to see Owen outside of his character and outside of the ring because I was literally seated right next to the press box. And I stood up and watched him interact with these kids. And I saw what many people say. He was genuinely one of the nicest guys in all of wrestling. 
uh, and it's been said about him then, and it's even in memoriam, it's said about him. Um, could he wrestle? Absolutely. Was he great? Absolutely. But what I saw, because you know, I'm always, I'm always about the human element. I'm always about the person. That's why I got you two guys here. You're you're my wrestling gurus. <laughs> I'm interested in the people. That's that's where that's where my head is. And I saw him interact with these kids, and that spoke volumes to me about the kind of guy Owen Hart is and was. And he wrestled that night. In fact, he wrestled uh, Shawn Michaels at the Spectrum. And uh, and that was a hell of a match. Great match. It went about 40 minutes. And they gave and each of these guys were just absolutely blown up by the end of it. It was nonstop. You would have thought you were watching Osprey and Ricochet. You know? Right. It, it, was, it was that kind of momentum. It was nonstop from start to finish. But, Dan, let's talk about uh, why we're here. We, uh, unfortunately, you know, we're remembering Owen in memoriam because he's not here anymore. Uh, and he passed uh, in a very public way and in a very public forum at the Kemper Arena in St. Louis, Missouri. Very famous arena. Um, it's the first and only athletic-related death that arena ever had. Um, why it happened will be uh, a subject of debate, and we're going to actually go into that a little bit tonight. There are lots of different angles on this, and many, uh, many viewpoints as to who did what, who could have done what. In retrospect, you could have say, you know, could have, should have, would have. But let's let's not speculate about what could have, should have, would have. Let's talk about what happened. Mike Messier, take me, uh, take me to WWE headquarters on a Friday night, and to the office of Vince Russo. Well, from what I understand, and uh, please nobody hold me, you know, stacked to a stack of Bibles on this one. But Vince Russo received a phone call. They were two nights or a couple of nights away from the WWE pay-per-view, which I believe uh, WWF at the time called Over the Edge. Yeah. Uh, sad, ironic title there. Yeah, very uh, ironic. Very ironic. Over right. the Edge. Right. I think it was the second one, and they never did it again, obviously. Yeah. And, and, and just as an aside, you know, how much different would wrestling or WWE be had Owen's accident taken place at a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam? you know, or a survivor series, but it took place at this kind of, uh, may pay-per-view Vince got a phone call, Vince Russo, uh, a couple of guys were claiming to be the stunt coordinators for stings, uh, entries into the WCW, which from into this, from the ceiling, into the ring where he would attack the NWO with baseball bats. We've all seen that. Mm -hmm. Um, basically Russo passed the information along to the higher ups, I don't know exactly who the higher-ups were, but they decided to hire these guys. And it's true that they had done these stunts with Owen as the Blue Blazer for three or four or five months going into this pay-per-view. So this was not the first time Owen had done the stunt 
which True. has kind of become a false narrative that it was the first time. It wasn't the first time, but apparently right. from, from those that have spoken about it, uh, including Owen's wife, Owen was never terribly comfortable doing this stunt. Yeah. Uh, he felt pressure apparently because Owen had passed on a storyline where he would fall in love with Deborah McMichael, who is his tag team partner, Jeff. Can Church. I stop you there, Mike? Go ahead. Sure. Because it's really important because you're going into an area that's critical to the story. Yeah. Um, you know, Owen had probably for the prior and correct me, Dan, if I'm wrong, but for the prior six to eight months, had done the blue blazer gimmick. That's correct. It was a okay. running. It was a running gimmick where it was of, of all people. It was actually Steve Blackman and Goldust that he was having a mini feud with that kept pulling the mask off. And the narrative yeah. was Owen Hart didn't know who the blue blazer was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was. They, I'll they admit tried it was very to kayfabe it like Owen didn't know. Exactly. He um, the backstage segments with the mask in his pocket and that kind of stuff. But where Mikey is in the story is interesting, and I wanted to stop him there because we must establish that Owen had indeed for months previously had been the Blue Blazer and had come down on the wire. Why then, Mikey, and that pick up the story from here, why then all of a sudden, and it seems to me, again, I could be wrong, but it seems to me, all of a sudden, he becomes uncomfortable with doing, you know, the blue blazer gimmick, and he becomes uncomfortable with the height factor and being lowered down. Explain to me what happened. What what was the perceived mindset? The perceived mindset, and I'm going just to cite the source, I'm going from the audio doc, which anyone can find on YouTube. I didn't make it. I had nothing to do with it. Right. The audio documentary of the final days of Owen Hart, which anyone can find. It's about 35 minutes long. It's a great listen. Um, basically, the idea was that Owen never felt comfortable doing this stunt, but he feared for his job security if he passed on it. So, yes, okay. he did do the stunt on Raw. He, he did this stunt a couple of times on Raw. And but he never felt good about doing it. So what can I tell you? I mean, I OK, because I, I have a question yeah. for you. Sure. We have to keep in mind that Brett, his brother, was by this time out of the company. WCW. Yeah. Yeah. There are people that are saying and have said since it happened. I'm not making this up. This is out there. There are people who have said at the time and still contend that that was punishment. Owen was being punished for Brett leaving and that he forced him into doing this blue blazer gimmick against his will. What do either of you, Dan, what do either of you guys are hearing about this? Tell me. Well, I will say the information's come out on a few independent documentaries and interviews through the years that following what happened to Bret Hart, Owen was in the group of wrestlers that asked for their release along with the bulldog and some of those guys. And Owens was denied. Yeah. And he, he, he wanted out. I don't know how he felt. Obviously I can't speak for his mindset at the time, but he wanted out when all that went down. Yeah. And you had a burgeon, uh, a, a booming 
mid-card starting to grow. You had your Ken Shamrock, and you had your your Jeff Jarrett and Steve Light. You had so many credible mid-carders that he Mm -hmm. was in a position where one or two bad angles or burials, and he could have fallen completely off the card. I understand the nature of feeling forced to do it. You're you're going somewhere, and it's exactly kind of where I want you to go. I'm glad you did. Um, You got to remember... Although Owen was incredibly talented and very gifted, let's be honest, who had the stroke here? It was Brett who had the stroke. Right. With Brett no longer there, Owen is no longer protected. Neither, by the way, are Davy Boy, Bold, you know, uh, um, uh, Nightheart. Dynamite Kid, Nightheart. and Nightheart. Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean, let's be let's let's be honest about it and, and call a spade a spade. You know, you got three or four guys here that, for all intents and purposes, are out on their own. Pillman's right. dead by this you, point. Pillman's already gone. Yeah, Brian had Brian had passed by this point. You yeah. look at at you talk about the clout Brett had. You know, the the SummerSlam match between Brett and the Bulldog in in London at was at Wembley Stadium. Wembley Stadium. Brett, yeah, Brett had said before. The bulldog was so high out of his mind on crack that, yes, he, that he could barely see straight. You show True. up like that and try to have a match with the Undertaker or anybody else besides Bret yeah. Hart having your back, you're fired immediately. You probably don't even go get through. Dan, the I I encourage you uh, and you too, Mikey. Go back now. Go back now, knowing that he was whacked out of his mind. Mm-hmm. Go back and watch that match. Now, okay, you will see it. You will see Brett carrying him, right. literally carrying him the whole match. He was in no condition to wrestle. He should never have been in that ring, in my opinion. Just but to that- clarify, that's Davy Boy Smith versus Bret Hart, SummerSlam 92, main right. event. Absolutely, yeah, Wembley Stadium, right. in front of 84,000 people. Yes, Okay, now, understand now when Brett leaves to go to WCW, there's probably, what, Mikey, uh, four months between Brett's departure and Brett's showing up at WCW? Because he didn't show up right away. Actually, he kind of did, Angelo. He showed up about because he appeared at Starcade 97. So Survivor Series 97 was the screw job and then uh, uh starcade 97 was in december because i was there in the audience mm-hmm. and brett right. was the referee for the sting hogan match so he actually did show up two or three weeks later on wcw right. okay if, but if, if you remember ahead, the story yeah. if you remember the story brett broke his hand or his knuckle punching vince mcmahon after the screw job and yeah between he he physically couldn't compete that's that, why they kind of shoehorned him into the manager or not the yeah. manager excuse me the that, that's basically where I was going with that. Thank you, Dan. Because mm-hmm. I know that he didn't, he did not wrestle right away. He yeah, wrestled the, Flair at sold out 98. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was in yeah, the spring. That was, was a colossal waste of talent, in my right. opinion. Awful. What yeah. they did with Brett was no, awful. No, no doubt WCW dropped that ball completely. Yeah, and there are some people who say that they were paid to drop the ball. Well, let's let's get back well, to the you know, let's thing. let's go into the conspiracy realm. Look, hey, look, we're all about it. 
Sure. There are people who say that because of the relationship between Vince McMahon and Eric Bischoff, which has always been cordial and has always been tight. Right. They, uh, they are competitors at the time, but they know each other. Personally, they know each other. There are people who are saying at the time and even contend today that Eric Bischoff was paid a large sum of money basically to give the big F you to Brett. Put him as a referee. Put him in squash matches. Have him come out wearing a, a metal chest plate. <laughs> that was, that that, was just that, stupid. That, that, that bit with him hiding the metal and knocking out Goldberg was that teenage me thought that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> Adult me realized how silly laugh that was. Out of it. That teenage was me thought funny. that was awesome. That was I think, hilarious. I thought Brett claims that that was his idea, though. The uh, But um, no. getting, getting back to where we were with the Owen story, from yeah. what I understand, just listening to different sources, Owen felt that he had already said no to creative once, and he had said no to the creative idea of Owen having a schoolboy crush on Deborah McMichael, who would also become Deborah, you know, Steve Austin's wife. Mm-hmm. And the idea was a love triangle, Deborah, Owen, yeah. and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, and my but- understanding, Mikey, is that Owen was adamantly against it. He right. didn't want to do it. Um uh, his wife apparently didn't care. She knew the business uh, and understood it was a work. But the kind of person Owen was, he could not in good conscience do that because his his children and he's always thinking of his kids, his kids, you know, would have heard it at school. Right. You know, your daddy kissed this lady or whatever the case was. Right. Um, and that's if you listen to Owen's side, and I've heard that argument made, that he basically didn't want his kids to get ridiculed. And I understand that being a father. Right. Um, the other thing is at the time, and you mentioned the rigging, uh, at the time this company as far as I know now, today, this company has misrepresented what they were capable of doing, Mikey, explain this to me. Where, where did they get the notion that, of, of course, they can say all day long, oh, we, we did the ringing for WCW and Sting, and they very well may have. Right. But where did they get the notion all of a sudden to, in the middle of dealing with certain people, to just deal with another company off off the cuff. From what I understand, uh, listening to Vince Russo and, and others talk about this, that they they being WWE, you know, WWF, Pat Patterson, Vince McMahon, uh, whomever, right. were not planning on the Blue Blazer doing the stunt uh, up until, like you said, the Friday or, or a few days before the pay-per-view. Yeah. What happened to change that was apparently Owen as the blue blazer was scheduled to win the intercontinental title from, uh, the Godfather, uh, who right. he, previously Papa Shango. Yeah. And when, when Russo got this phone call and it was kind of like, Hey, at the time, the competition was still pretty intense between WCW and WWE mm-hmm. or WWF. 
Russo passed the phone call on and the higher ups said, well, hey, you know, Russo, let's give these stunt coordinators a shot if they're coming from WCW. And I'm just speculating here, but if if they work for WCW and work for Sting and provide a service for WCW, if we yeah. start hiring these guys more often or pay them better, maybe they'll stick with WWF and then they can't promote Sting as well with his stunts. Now, the thing right. that I've heard is that the two guys that did the stunt were like the assistants to Sting in WCW. They weren't even the real guys. They were like the best. That's where, I, that's where I'm going. That's what I heard. That's like a, a Steven Spielberg assistant director saying, hey, I direct, I'm Steven Spielberg. Well, yeah. you're not Steven Spielberg. You're his assistant. So these guys were the assistant. Yeah, it's like saying you directed E.T. Right. And Schindler's List. Right. Apparently, these guys, uh, for whatever reason, in the rush of the weekend to get this pay-per-view, mm-hmm. that whoever was, nobody double-checked their uh, resume, so to speak. Here's the problem I have, Dan the Man. What you got? And tell me if I'm just being conspiratorial or paranoid or what. I have a problem with getting a phone call on a Friday night at 6 or 7 o'clock when nobody's around but Vince Russo, Mm -hmm. knowing the pay-per-view is Sunday... Sunday. Yep. Okay. How do you plan all of this out from Friday to Sunday? Who has to okay it? Who's got to give the green light? How do you get Owen and these guys together to work out the harness and to work out the details and to see if it's going to be strong enough to carry his body weight? You know, Owen was a big boy. He was 245, okay? I want people to understand that. Owen Hart was a big guy. He was six foot three, 245 pounds. That's a big man, okay? Yep. I think it's important to to point out, too, is they had a house show Saturday before the pay-per-view. Yes. And at the time... Of, of the, this string of pay-per-views, WCW mm-hmm. was winning the Monday Night Wars. This was during the period yeah. when they were winning the ratings. I I can't speak for other, like I said earlier, I can't speak for another person, but I'm sure Vince Russo, just like everybody else in that office, was under strict instructions. I don't care how silly or bad or short time the idea is. If you mm-hmm. have anything that could get us even a, even a, a .1 ratings bump, you come to me immediately, and I'm sure yeah. when Vince Russo got that phone call and said we can do a sting-like stunt, which is and Mike, you can back me up on this one. The problem too was Sting when he was lowered. Sting wore uh, a back-release harness, like like a safety harness, like you'd see a construction worker wearing. He wore yep, it under his I trench know that. coat. Yep. Owen Hart I, was a, was a Owen Hart had that fast-release buckle because the gimmick was going to be they were going to lower him to about a foot or two over the ring, and then he yeah. was going to. He was going to struggle to get out, and then he was going to fall on his face. Ha ha, Blue Blazer fell down, which yeah. obviously he released the buckle, or somehow the buckle got released too soon. So not yeah. only are you hiring these these phonies, but you're taking a completely different design and trying to, to get it ready in less than 48 hours. The it's- kind of harness that they used, and let me explain to the difference. A back harness has 
four as a a four pronged approach. There's two at the shoulder and there's two at the waist. Mm-hmm. Okay. What they lowered Owen on was a ringlet about that big. A metal, I'm not even kidding you, a metal ring about this big. Right. Okay. Yep. That's supposed to support a six foot three, 245 pound human being. That's it. That's the kind of ring that you lower cargo with. Right. Not a person. Because if it snaps, you're going to lose a couple of crates. But if it snaps with a person on it, you're going to kill them. Yep. Especially when you're 91 feet above a ring. Yeah. Which which was exactly how high he was. 91 feet. Something that's come up before specifically with this, because Mikey mentioned that they'd done a similar stunt before where they've lowered him from the ring. This was, I believe, the tallest or one of the tallest structures they've lowered him from. It was the the single tallest. The stadium goes. The Kemper Arena had a center cap of 91 feet. 91 feet. In other words, Dan, it was at the very epicenter of the top of the arena. Mm-hmm. You could the to get higher, you'd have to be outside. You'd be on the roof, yeah. Standing on the roof. Okay. I want to so we put it into perspective. That's a very, very large building. And it held probably twenty eight thousand people mm-hmm. in that neighborhood. Twenty seven and change. Say if you've never seen the Kemper Arena, Google it sometime. Look at the photos. It's a yeah. big place. No, I, I- I remember watching. You could the put Madison Square Garden inside it. Okay. Yep. Mike Messier. Well, let's talk uh, about the night. Sure. And the night leading up to the night. So it's now Friday. Uh, Vince Russo gets a phone call. He forwards it to uh, the higher ups. Saturday comes. What happens next? Uh, I could be wrong on this, and I, I don't want to be wrong, so correct me if I'm if I am wrong, Angelo. But I believe what happened was the higher ups put the ball back in Russo's court and said, "Find something, find a spot for this stunt, find a spot for these guys." The guys That's mean pretty much exactly what happened, and and it occurred to Vince Russo, and this is where he gets heat, and I think unfairly so. Because it only made sense. The only person that they were using on the roster to kind of bungee cord into the ring, like Sting, was yeah. Owen. So it well, occurred- let me let me stop you there because the the original plan, the original plan, was to have Owen run down, flapping his blue cape. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Russo, as if you if you listen to him. Russo, between Friday and Sunday, had to rewrite a good chunk of the show to accommodate the spot. Right. Is what is, and Dan, if, am I right about that? No, as far as I know from the interviews everyone's given over the last year, over the years, that is correct. They, they had, Vince Russo was very uh, under instruction slash determined of his own personal volition to shoehorn this spot in. And like Mikey said, the blue blazer's entrance is the only place it really made sense. Right. So now, taking away the uh, the love triangle angle, 
Um, they Vince Russo kiboshes that with you know at Owen's behest. So now they get rid of that. Now they write in this flying entrance. Okay. Right. This is where it gets dicey. So now he has at some point between Saturday and Sunday, he's got to meet with this rigging crew. All right. They've got to try him on with this, with his gimmick, his outfit. Mm-hmm. Plus, they've got to accommodate the rigging for his outfit so that it's not overtly visible. You know, Mikey, you know, you've done films, you know, uh, you know, camouflaging techniques. Sure. Okay. And, uh, you know, like they say, you know, hiding the wires. You know, right. we all know Superman's not really flying. He's on a uh, usually like piano wire. Right, right. It's, which, right. by the way, is the strongest wire you can find. Um, the interesting thing is they didn't use piano wire for Owen. They used rigging cable, which was the wrong kind of cable. Um, so now he meets with the rigging crew. Do, do we know, Dan, a timeline based on history of when Owen... And Vince Russo may have met with the rigging crew. From what I understand, like I said, from interviews through the years, is the first time they even did a drive walkthrough of it was early Sunday afternoon slash late Sunday morning. And they had the plan in place. Uh, Owen was going to, he had his gear on. He, he They had some disposable, I don't want to say disposable, but, but he was going to wear his street clothes so he could kind of sneak through the crowd, walk up through the entryways and whatnot to get mm-hmm. him up top where he could finish changing into his kit. Uh, so really the first time that Owen wore the cape and the kit and everything with was when he was getting ready to get in the harness. I mean, they did a dry run and a fitting, but the first time he was ready to go was the first time they did it. I think that's actually where the narrative that this is the first time he'd ever done this stunt came from. Was yeah. this particular harness the first time he ever got in it was when they were getting ready to lower him down. And Mike Messier, do we know if Vince Russo was part of this with the rigging crew? Off the top of my head, I don't remember. I would once again refer people to two things now to get the facts uh, fully straight. Owen Hart's Final Day, a post-profile auto audio documentary. You can find it on YouTube and other sources. 48 minutes and 44 seconds. Uh, it's a very chilling listen. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, I mean, for what it is, it's wonderfully done. It's very professionally done. You can listen to that for free. Uh, apparently, Owen expressed to people, friends of his, Owens, that he did not want to do this stunt. He was apprehensive. And apparently, he had a phone call either the day or two days before the stunt on pay-per-view. Yeah. And he was basically told, do the stunt or lose your job. I want to give another quick um, uh, reference for people that want to do their own research, because don't take our word for it. Do your own research. Absolutely. Uh, fanbyte.com, F-A-N-B-Y-T-E.com. The Owen Hart police report is a, chilly remi- is a chilling reminder of WWE's history with worker safety, April 3rd, 2020. This is a, is a long article, but apparently it has a link to the actual police report 
um, from the Owen Hart uh, death, and it's from David uh, Bickenspan, who is a bit controversial and outspoken. Yeah. But within Bickenspan's article, the 73-page file is now released for anyone that wants to read it. You can read it and make your own conclusions. Okay. Now, Dan. Yeah. So the day of the event is the first time he puts on the gimmick, puts on the harness, and does a dry run-through. Is that what happens now? From from what I understand from the interviews and other comments that have been made is, yes, they did uh, a, some test fittings and kind of a walkthrough. But the first time he is in full costume, full cape, full tight, full harness is when he's in the rafters ready to come down. Okay. Now, there's clearly there was a pay-per-view going on. Correct. Uh, and... Owen, at some point during the night, has to make his way up to the catwalk. Yes. Okay. Now, how does he get there? Who meets him there? Uh, who, who rigs him up? And they, who's in charge of lowering him? They had the riggers and the crew staged in the uh, area of the catwalk. As I mentioned earlier, they had Owen Hart, had his gear on. He had his blue blazer outfit, uh, mask in his pocket. He wore jeans. There's actually pictures uh, floating around the internet, various fans that recognized him in the concession area and the stairs. And he went through the crowd, through the concession area, through the stairs to the back entrance, which would at that point be unlocked, to make his way to the gangways and to the catwalk, where he changed down, got his mask, got his cape on, and yeah. met with the riggers, and they strapped him in. Okay. So now, the match preceding the Blue Blazer match. Uh, it ends, there's a lull in the action, uh, on the pay-per-view, you don't see anything happening in the ring. Correct. The camera's focused on Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler sitting yes, by for, ringside. For the WWF's, yeah. at the, I'm sorry, at the time, for the WWF's advantage, while Jim Ross was explaining that the Godfather was going to defend the Intercontinental title against the Blue Blazer... Yes. They did a pan shot of the crowd, and it was during that secondary pan shot when he fell, and you could hear the commotion and everything. Well, you could hear him hitting the ring. Yes. You you also you had the commotion, and when it cut back to Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler was no longer present because he had gotten up and run to the ring. Yeah. And that was when Jim Ross, in what is probably one of his most famous calls, explained that you know, it's wrestling is scripted. Uh, what you're, you know, what you're seeing with something terrible has happened. He's Owen Hart fell. It's not part of the show. It's not part of the script. You know, it's yeah. a real emergency. We've got medical crews. And I, I remember watching this while watching the pay-per-view. And then at that point, they're explaining everything that's happening. You, should, you know, the camera's obviously not on the ring. Um, they're yeah. staying, like you said, the staying on Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler came back. And he looked distraught, and Jim Ross made a comment about it looks bad, and Jerry Lawler just very casually put his headset on and said, yeah. And that, me as a teenager, as soon as Jerry Lawler said that, I was like, Owen Hart is dead. Like, it's, yeah. it's it was obvious that he technically wasn't declared dead until he, that he had left the ring, but at that point you knew what was happening. Yeah. Well, now I want to warn people that the next segment of the show uh, is a bit graphic. 
Um, so uh, my advice to you would be, if you don't want to hear it, to tune out now. Uh, but if we're going to give this any justice, we have to be honest in all regard. So, Mike Messier, what happens next is Owen is lowered in the process of being lowered and almost immediately the buckle snaps. Right. And he's uh, approximately at this point some 90 feet above the ring. When the buckle gives way and the harness snaps, he doesn't go straight down to the center of the ring. Had he hit the center of the ring, he probably would have bounced up quite a bit, got the wind knocked out of him, and maybe survived. That's not what happened. He came down from the ceiling at full velocity, and he hit the turnbuckle first. Actually, he hit the ring post. That's solid metal. Mm -hmm. And he bounces from the turnbuckle ring post to about the center of the ring, or quite near the center. Now, at this time, to Dan's point, the camera is on JR. They pan around. You can hear a thud. You can hear it. You don't see anything, but you can hear clearly something very loud hitting that ring. And then you can hear people go, oh, kind of like that. Okay? They never, to their credit, they never addressed the ring until Owen was out and on his way in back. But he was already gone at this point. We already, we pretty much now already know that mm-hmm. that he was that he had passed on before he left the uh, the ring. There are people at the time because don't forget we've had we had cell phones. And many of them had cameras on them, and many had video. And there are a lot of videos floating around and a lot of photos from that night. I have not seen any of them purposely. I don't want to. Um, It's not something that I take glory in. But as I said to people, this is a disturbing aspect of what happened that night. A man died in front of an arena full of people. Rather than, and this is where I want you two guys to chime in uh, and have a debate you know, about this, um, let, let's all kind of talk about it. Dan, should they have cleared out the arena or as the old adage in show business, Mikey, the show must go on. Mm. What do you think? Talk to me guys. Personally, I think at that point you call it a refund. If you have to, Reschedule if you have to. I think you call it um, the. Uh, I'm like I said. I remember watching the pay per view. The show went on. The crowd. You could tell that the the crowd was. Um, I'm trying to think of a good word because you know the usual expression. Um, they a guest. Yeah. Y- you yeah, can't the, say the, they, pre- they. 
Yeah, they say the, dead the crowd. crowd. You want to yeah, say yeah? The crowd, the crowd was was out of it. The crowd was yeah. out of the show. Um, I think it was incredibly poor. T- at least, like I said, in hindsight, I think it was incredibly poor taste to continue, especially for the other performers that were forced to go out there. You didn't. I don't know if they changed the canvas. I don't know what they did, but you, they you were did. standing. What's that? I don't think they did. I think they the wrestler didn't. no, they they, didn't. they had to Not wrestle on Owen's blood. In yeah, fact, were- um, the next person out, let me remind you, was The Rock. Was the very next person out, was mm. The Rock. So The Rock had to follow that. Yeah. Um, I think they should have called it. I think they should have said, folks, um, go home. We're done here. Uh, we have a problem, and we got to address it. And I don't think, with as beloved as Owen Hart was by wrestling fans, I don't think anybody in that crowd would have been, I mean, maybe maybe disappointed, but I don't I don't see people being angry, like, oh man, I don't care that he that some dude just died. I paid for three hours, man. Where's the damn main event? I ain't seen The Rock yet. Give me my money. Yeah. But I don't think people would have felt that way. I think fans would have understood. Go ahead, Mikey. I, I want to three things. I'll make it quick. One, the way I remember things. That when Owen actually fell, what we were seeing on TV was a promo of Owen as the Blue Blazer in the dressing room, a pre-tape promo. Yes, yes. And I believe that that was what was airing at the exact moment of the fall. It was. You can call it ironic, you can call it poetic, you can call it chillingly odd. But just a weird deal that as this man is yeah. falling to what would be it his was death. being interviewed in the back by, I believe, Todd Pettengill. Right. Or was it was it Lillian Garcia? I, I thought Pettengill was gone by then, but who, who what was it? Maybe I it was, it was I thought it was a, I don't know. I thought it was a guy. OK, well, the point is that it was just an odd. But if it was situation. Lillian Garcia. Uh, close enough. Sure. But the point is, this just an odd situation that while he's like dying, Lillian. we see him. Uh, yeah. talking about the little the little blue blazers and and doing the yeah. right thing and and the blue right. blazers your hero so yeah very it, very but, strange exactly what happened is at that moment right when he fell now when he did fall one thing that's come up several times i believe it was referee jimmy carderas was in the ring about to do the blue blazer versus uh versus uh, godfather intercontinental title match which yeah. once again was supposed to be a switch of the title to the blue right. blazer and apparently, Owen was yelling at him, get out of the way, get out of the way, because yeah. Owen knew that he was in trouble, but he didn't want to land on Kaderis. So yeah. one of Owen's last acts on this earth was quite literally to spare or help save the life of a fellow wrestling personality, a referee. Uh, his final act was to help someone else not get hurt. And and who the knows? ironic thing, Mikey, is that if he had fallen on Mikey Corderas, yeah, they'd both be still alive today. Right. Only Mikey is. Then the third thing I wanted uh, this to say, um, that's the ironic thing. Right. Had he hit him, they would both still be with us. Right. And of course, only one is. We don't know the. I mean, we, who's to say the extent of the injuries? Uh, do, do you have a thought on that, Angelo? How how much the injuries would have been to Kadaris or to Owen if he had landed on him? Well, because the human body is made up of flesh, bone, and tissue, it's very pliable. Right. Okay. 
you take think of it this way, Mikey. You're a filmmaker. You're doing a stunt. You got a guy that's going to jump off uh, the uh, the sixth or seventh floor of a building. He's going to come down on an airbag. All right. Mm-hmm. You, that's tantamount to landing on a person. Right. You're going to cushion the blow. In yeah. Will somebody get hurt? Yeah. Will I they both? Will they both die? No. You, you look at the uh, a good bit for the science. If if our fans out there want to check it out uh that the television show mythbusters did a bit where they were com- they were testing the myth of hitting water at a certain speed is the same as hitting concrete and while the the bodies they were dropping they were using pig carcasses were being damaged hitting the water it was always worse hitting a solid object even something like Absolutely. water or something saw yes i mean like mikey said who knows the the extent of the injuries but had he hit Cordaris had he hit further into the ring into something with a give to it yeah. it would not have been as as hard, as fatal or excuse me as damaging as it was hitting absolutely hitting the ring post and the turnbuckle the way he did Ab- absolutely I mean you think about that okay so you break your leg you break your arm you're laid up for a little while mm-hmm. but you're breathing yeah and you're alive I want to get to the point about should the show have gone on because just to play uh, that, devil, Mikey, that's always been a point of contention, whether the show should they should have stopped the show and sent people home. Well, I'm going to I want to take been a big thing. First, I'm going to give you the what if what if that was Stephanie McMahon who fell? What if that was Shane McMahon or Vince McMahon or Stone Cold Steve Austin or sure. The Rock or The Undertaker? What if it was an A plus player, not an A minus player like Owen was at that time? Would that they have made a difference? They would have had that crowd emptied in 30 minutes. Now, here's here's where I'm going to flip side, just, just for the sake of argument, just so we can say that we covered both topics, mm-hmm. sides of the same topic. Right. To be fair, it is possible that in the anxiety of the situation, wrestling people, as Angelo knows, uh, are trained, and the mindset is the show must go on. And if anyone is going to live to that, it was WWF in 1999 when business was booming. They were finally getting ahead of WCW in this Monday Night War. All things were running on overtime on adrenaline and money. And perhaps to give them a little bit of a break here, they did not know what to do. There was no protocol. Well, this. I'll give you a perfect real life scenario. Okay. Sure. In 1976, uh, my father got tickets for uh, myself and my sister and my cousins to go to see Dick Clark's Rock and Roll Review at the Latin Casino in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. One of my favorite singers was going to be on the show that night named Jackie Wilson. Yep. The night that we were going to go, Jackie Wilson had a heart attack on stage. And was brain dead from that moment on. Wow. And was laid up in a New Jersey hospital for nine months before he finally succumbed to his injuries. We went the next night. The show went on. Dick Clark still had his show. But only instead of Jackie Wilson, it was a a fine entertainer named Chuck Jackson. You might know him from the song Any Day Now. 
Right. Okay. Big shoes to fill. Tough spot to be in. You know, you know they didn't come to see you, but you've got to be there and you've got to perform and you've got to be on your A game because that's what these people are paying for. I can make the argument, yeah, you can do that. But when you're talking about taking that kind of a fall in front of 27, 28,000 people with kids in the audience, you know, I don't care. Maybe you, you bite the bullet financially. Maybe you give away, you know, give some refunds or give some. Uh, use your ticket for the next show. You know, good for the next event. Right. That's fine. But I think it was in extremely poor taste to continue that show knowing a guy just died in front of you. Yeah. And I can. And I, the crowd I, I, knew it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I can yeah. say honestly that if. If if were me as Vince McMahon, I would have called the show as well. And I, from from what we understand, Owen wasn't officially proclaimed dead until he got to the hospital. But That's still, true. they but, still had a title uh, change. One thing people forget is that the Undertaker actually beat Steve Austin for the title on the main event of that show. Yeah, so nobody even remembers it. They still yeah. went through with storylines. They still went through with the title change. Well, uh, at that point, what choice have you? That's what I'm saying. You only was... have one of two choices. You, I mean, really, guys, you only have one of two choices. Dan, you either continue with the show right. or you send everybody home. Those are the only two choices you got. Yeah. The question yeah, is, right. did they make the right choice? I think they could have bit the... They could have bit the bullet a little bit financially. They weren't yeah. going to lose anything. I, I think in the long run, history is going to say they should have stopped the show. But from the things that matter to Vince McMahon, the following the Owen Hart tribute Raw was one of the highest rated of the year. Uh, ticket sales continued to go up. Merch kept going. Yeah. History isn't going to look. It wasn't some critical turning point uh, the way you know it, it could have been. Had it been a more hot, like you said, an A plus versus an A minus player, yeah. um, I think in the grand scheme of things, life went on pretty quickly. Yeah, you, you said there were title changes; they continued, and for yep. a couple months after, some wrestlers wore the OH armbands, and that mm -hmm. was about it. Life life went on, and well, Dan, you know it's a funny thing about wrestling. Um. It really is the purest form of show business because the show, true to form, Mike Messier, the show must and always does go on. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, again, weren't me, I, I would have made a different decision, maybe. Being there, maybe not. You don't know. You don't know. Now, without, going, without taking the deep dive here, because I'm not going to go here, but I do have to bring it up because everybody knows that on this show, we love a good conspiracy. <laughs> now we already know Vince McMahon has blood on his hands. Some of it deliberately, some of it quite accidentally. 
There are people that's, that are saying and have said from the beginning this was payback for Brett. Would Vince do that? Could Vince do that? Two different questions. Would he and could he? Could he? Sure. Would he? I don't think so. I'm going to put an end to the conspiracy. And much as I love a good conspiracy, I'm going to put a kibosh on the conspiracy theories that that Vince McMahon had Owen whacked. Right. You know, because because I don't think that was the case. Um, he was too beloved an individual. Everybody liked him. He was a nice guy. And what did Vince have to gain by, you know, by by offing Owen? Well, and you also have to think from Vince McMahon's mindset, you know, we talked on the show before with the Ultimate Warrior, with Hulk Hogan. You know, there's always I mean, you even had Jim Cornette at the Hall of Fame ceremony with the with the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, there's always, you know, they the whole never say never mantra. Vince McMahon will is willing to forgive and forget if it means he's going to make money. And, and if you look at exactly. the crowd, blue blazer masks were a popular selling item. Uh, uh, sure. Owen Hart got his nugget chance. You had a, a, a bank, a star that was making you money. I don't care if Vince McMahon thought, you know, if, if Bret Hart walked in and personally strangled Vince McMahon's puppy in front of him, if, if Owen Hart's making him money, he's not going to he's not going to get rid of that, period. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. I have emailed. Uh, we're on the Skype chat, guys. I've sent in the chat the document of this police report that is on the Bick and Span article that I read earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's, I've never... Yeah, I saw that come through. Thank you, Mike. I, yeah, I've never looked at a police investigation report before in my life. I've never had reason to, but here I am looking at it. And so I would just say, once again, for further reference, folks, uh, find that uh, Owen Hart doc, audio, audio doc, 44 minutes, and find this police report on Bickenspan's article on Fanbyte with a Y. My yeah. feeling, um, guys, is um, I remember watching the pay-per-view. I remember as soon as I saw um, Jim Ross's face and then Jerry Lawler came back to the desk and they were talking about this, I knew that Owen had died mm-hmm. in my yeah. heart. And I remember watching the pay-per-view with about 20 people because we had these big pay-per-view parties back yeah. then. And yeah. one guy was making jokes and I just found it distasteful. And I just had a feeling that Owen was, this was the way that Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler looked as if they had just, uh, the, 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 their color of their, their face was, was pale white. Um, I don't think that Vince McMahon, as much as I've had issues with him and his policies, I don't think he had Owen killed. I think it, it was, uh, it was neglect perhaps it was, clearly. Uh, lack of responsibility, a lack of attention. Um, do I think it was a, a hit or a murder? No, but I don't blame Martha Hart for her anger. I don't blame Martha Hart for, uh, keeping Owen's name out of the WWE hall of fame. I believe that, right. uh, listening to talk as Jericho with Martha and Martha saying that the WWF once sued her mm-hmm. because they wanted the case to be settled in Connecticut. Uh, which was there to their WWE's advantage or WWF's sure. advantage. Mm-hmm. So I'm very sympathetic to this Martha Hart lady. Um, I think Jericho handled that interview with a lot of class and a lot of tact. 
And he knows that a lot of fans have this grudge in their own mind against this poor woman, Martha Hart. But what people have to understand is Owen was her life. That, that were the high school sweeties. Well, here's the question I have, Dan. When did Martha become vilified in this? She's the widow. Yeah, I think the the vilification of her because she was like you said, she was the widow and she was the sympathetic figure because you had you had this the, the crying widow, you had the the connection with the Hart family who had already suffered some tragedy. Then yeah. obviously um as as Mikey mentioned there was the lawsuit, there was also some uh various legal letters related to trademarks and merchandise. Yeah. And she kind of got the short end of the stick from it mm-hmm. and was the sympathetic figure over time as the, the aura and the legend of own heart grew and people more and more wanted, uh, they wanted a statue. They wanted some kind of own heart, Memorial cup, uh, yeah. a tournament, a hall of fame, something. She kept putting her foot down saying, keep his name out of your mouth. I don't want it anywhere near that company. Yeah. Once the once it was no longer the WWF and it was the fans that wanted to remember him, I yeah. think that's when she started becoming the villain. Not not for anything that that she did wrong per se, but when she started going against the will of the fans, that's when the fans kind of turned on her. Well, there's a fine line between doing what's right for the fans and doing what's right for your family. Correct. So that's the tightrope that she has to walk. Yeah, it's a fine line in wrestling. You know, and like I said to Bill after, wrestling fans are a strange breed of people. Right. We're, you know, we're a strange animal. Yeah. Um, There's, I mean, you know, God bless us, everyone. But, you know, wrestling fans are unique. Well, like, like I said before, wrestling fans are simultaneously the greatest and worst human beings on the planet. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are. The, the quintessential mixed bag of nuts. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. If I could, I, I, I think that I, I kind of came into tonight thinking that we'd be talking more about Owen Hart matches and memories from a fan's perspective. And I, I don't know if you want to keep going with the, uh, the talk about his death. We can, Angelo, but I do well, have some gonna, good memories wrap of his it up here in about We're going to wrap it up here in about 10 minutes anyway. So, yeah, I didn't want to really talk about his matches, Mikey, because... You know, that that's a that's a thing of public record. You know, we already know Owen's, you know, matches and, you know, his his level of uh, professionalism and, you know, his competitive nature as an athlete. We know he, how good he was. Right. That's without dispute is that, you know, there's no need to really go there. But I wanted to take this opportunity, you know, to remember Owen, you know, the legacy, the person, the athlete. Um, but in order to do that, we had to talk about how he passed. Yeah, it's on. It's uh, it, sadly, it's unavoidable. That's why I told people about halfway through this, you know, you turn off, you know, tune out now if you want. But some of this stuff is graphic. Well, we know that Kevin Owens or Kevin Steen uh, named his son after Owen Hart. Yeah, And that is why Kevin Steen wrestles with the WWE name of Kevin Owens. Yeah. Because it's uh, the last name Owens is a tribute to his son. But, of course, his son was named after Owen Hart. Yeah. Um, for me, um, you know, I was there at the King of the Ring 1994, which Owen Hart won. 
And uh, that was a kind of a coronation of Owen as a main event player. That's when he became a main event guy. And if you look at the year 1994, although Owen never won a single title that year in WWF, uh, he started off as a baby face. He turned on his brother, Brett, at the Royal Rumble. Uh, He had a match with him at WrestleMania 10 that you guys discussed. That was great. Mm -hmm. He won the King of the Ring 94, which uh, went to the SummerSlam cage match. Yeah. Another classic match with Brett. And he did not win the title for Brett, but he helped Bob Backlund uh, defeat Bret Hart in one of the best uh, swerve angles ever yes. with the throwing in of the towel. And that was probably Owen Hart's breakthrough year. In 95, he wins the tag team title with Yoko, uh, kind of does that. 96, he had that great classic match that I love against British Bulldog in right. Europe for the European title. He wins the Intercontinental title from uh, young Rocky Maivia. Yeah. Um, when when Brett leaves, as we discussed, Owen, I guess is that's when you saw Owen versus Shawn Michaels, Angelo. Yeah. It was late 97. And in 98, he Philadelphia. was feuding with, yep, 98, he was feuding with Triple H, the tag team with Jeff Jarrett. So the point is, the guy packed a lot of wrestling legacy in for his own life, not just being a heart, oh, but sure. being Owen yeah. Hart. You know, having a great career that I do. And let us not forget two time slammy winner, too. Yes. <laughs> a bow tie, the best bow tie. I mean, a guy who, exactly. like, when you think about certain guys like Chris Jericho, Jericho was kind of holding on to that torch that guys like Pillman and Owen left behind for him. Sure. Uh, Owen had a great match with Pillman, Brian Pillman Sr. And on Monday Night Raw. To, don't forget, you have to remember something about Chris Jericho. He's Canadian. Right. Okay. He's got a legacy. Not only his legacy, it's his Canadian legacy. He was friends with these guys. He trained with them. He grew up with them. I was going to say Jericho, uh, Jericho and Lance Storm. That was the final graduating class of the Heart Dungeon. Exactly. At at one time or another, they all came through Stu Hart's Dungeon. Yeah. All of them. Which, uh, Interesting side note, uh, Lance Storm recently brought up with all the discussion about Owen Hart that he apparently, when he was working as a producer, pitched the idea of buying this the Hart House when it went up for sale and having the Hart House that. having the Hart House be where they filmed Tough Enough. And wow, apparently I heard that. Yeah, somebody, I guess they, they decided that was too good of an idea or they wouldn't want to <laughs> do it. But um yeah, of course. Yeah, I thought that would have been classic, but you know, that's it's like funny. I said before, Dan. If it makes sense, count on them not it, to do it. Exactly. Mikey brought up a good point, and I think that's part of the aura that that Owen Hart has. You talk about his legacy, his persona from yeah. from when he first broke out to be the the like really start to get the attention by himself instead yeah. of being the, the shadow. To the day he died was a span of just under five years. It was yeah. late 1993. To, to 1999 it's, you know, I guess just over five years I mean yeah. um, you know t- to have literally a lifetime career that people will remember forever in the span of five years yeah. I mean think about somebody like a like a Brock Lesnar he has three matches over the course of five years you know, I know. Owen Hart has an entire <laughs> career think about that, that. think about you know? that Dan think about that yeah all That's those remarkable. moments that Mikey so Dan let me ask you a question yeah how do you want to remember Owen Hart? 
How should people remember this guy? I think in a couple of sentences. I think what you said nails it. Owen Hart needs to be remembered as the person, not yes, he was a great talent, but he was a person. Uh, I I don't want to get into too much of my own story, but I saw that uh, a live house show. And he was just being a prankster. The foreign object they ended up using in the match was a Wendy's napkin. You recognize <laughs> those old yellow napkins everywhere. Outside yeah. of an indie show, that is the most fun I've ever. You can tell when wrestlers are having fun in the ring. Yes. And and the way he just brought the fun out in the ring and the crowd. I think people need to remember him for as good of a person as he was more than than obviously more than the way he died and more than the entertainer is. He there you was, go. In a business that will chew you up, spit you out, and burn you out instantly, yes. he, would, he kept a good heart and a good head for his entire run. He was the king of hearts. Absolutely. Mike Messier, in a couple of sentences, how do you want people to remember Owen? He was a family man, a man that loved his wife. He loved his kids. He loved his parents. He loved his brothers and sisters. And I think he did love professional wrestling. I, I think Martha might have that spouse thing where you hear the dark side or the sad side of your husband's career, but maybe Martha herself didn't know that. I think Owen really did enjoy wrestling. Um, and he did enjoy the fans especially. And he was doing Airbnb before there was Airbnb. He was, (laughs) he was staying at fans homes. Apparently. I don't know if he ever stayed with you in New Jersey, Angelo. No, never have. I I never (laughs) met him. I I never uh, met him. No, it's it's it, what you said though. It touched upon something. You'll never understand the wife's perspective, right? This is the person who knows him the best, the person that's closest to him, the one he's most intimate with. You know, we can speculate as fans of Owen Hart, but we'll never understand what happens between two people like that. Right. Their bond is their bond, and that's theirs. It's their story. Um, I thank, if Martha Hart should ever hear this, thank you for sharing your husband with the world, and thank you for sharing his talent with me. I appreciate it, and I, uh, I'm grateful to, uh, to have had the opportunity to see him wrestle and to see him interact with people. Mm-hmm. That was... That was more telling for me than anything you could ever put inside of a squared circle. Right. So, on behalf of Mike Messier, who is, uh, by the way, a walking website, MikeMessier.com. <laughs> tell everybody, Mikey, what's going on in the, the world of Mike Messier and YouTube and Wrestling with the Future and Mike Messier YouTube and all that, whatever the hell you got going on. We're doing <laughs> uh, life lessons with Mikey Messier. I did a, a special two-and-a-half-minute life lessons last night uh, in respect to the Michael Jordan documentary. Just a little... I saw uh, that. Yeah, just a little quickie, but but most Mike Messier life lessons episodes on the Wrestling with the Future podcast channel are uh, about 20 minutes. Yeah. So I, I try to give lessons that the listener or the watcher can apply. Uh, I've been working on a couple of screenplays this week, Angelo. Uh, my film festival, Avalonia Festival, which I even have the Avalonia Festival mouse pad uh, for my own writing purposes. But people can go to Avalonia Festival and enter their film. There is a pro wrestling film He's category. He's shameless. <laughs> Dan, he you, is a hey, shameless promoter. You gave him, you gave him the airtime to, to, to <laughs> hype himself up. He's going to use it to sell his own merchandise. Absolutely. 
if you go to Amazon, there are Mike Messier T-shirts available, which uh, Mike Messier. There's Why don't you several take some of them millions? Take some <laughs> of the millions of dollars that your films are generating. Oh yeah, <laughs> and throw some in the wrestling with the future mouse pads. Well, I have to let get. Me, my... Let me show you my mouse pad, okay? It's a plain <laughs> black mouse pad. That's it. Well, I need to get a three XL yeah, wrestling with the go, future. This is what I'm. You see this? <laughs> it's 20 years old <laughs> So everything is good You know, people can connect with me on Twitter I've got Mikey Messier, oh, Angry Wrestling Fan And I've got the Avalonia Fest Two Twitter accounts Mike Messier on Facebook And MikeMessier.com For all your Mike Messier needs, wants Jesus. And desires And desires <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Dan All 30 seconds of you now <laughs> Oh man, you're right Ain't no time left for me. Um, just Take to tell everybody, you, you can check. You can check out wrestling. Uh, you can check out wrestling with the future. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on YouTube. Wrestling with the future podcast. I'm on Twitter. Uh, the man underscore WWTF. You can also uh, check out the shirts. Don't forget to for those watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Buy the T-shirt. And yes. Rest, uh, Wrestling with the Future t-shirt. This is some prime, prime t-shirt material right here. Absolutely. And they're cheap. 20 bucks each or two for 30. Oh, even better. 20 each, two for 30. While supplies last. And I got a shitload of them. (laughs) (laughs) And, oh, and by the way, thank you guys for... Doing a, a joint collective effort on the, the YouTube channel. I know, Mikey, you're uploading um, wrestling-related videos now. Yep. Um, I, I, I had looked at this one. I don't know what the hell I was watching, Mikey. Something about the fire of Zen. The nature of the flame. It's my flame Zen of Zen or whatever. Film. Freak, that my, was, <laughs> my Zen feminist film, uh, Angelo. But the yeah. rest... Not on you, Wrestling with the Future. You didn't like that? that on Mike Messier's YouTube. Well, I'm just trying to get crossover appeal. But I, one last thing about Owen Hart, guys. What I Mike, would like you to do, though, while sure. we're on the subject, sure. why don't you um, why don't you put Ox Baker, one of the boys, up there? I will do that. I will do that for everybody. Why don't you do that? Absolutely. And uh, one last thing about Owen Hart. Uh, yes. A friend of mine, Colin Steele, who actually went to that, King of the Ring that Owen won with me, Colin Steele has always suggested, and I'll share it now with the audience, that Owen Hart be played in a feature film about his life by Owen Wilson. Uh, Colin has always pointed (laughs) out that Owen Wilson's face looks just like Owen Hart. You know what? He he, he really does, yeah. Owen is Owen. And you know what? I could see Owen Wilson because he's got that kind of personality. Right. He does. He really does. He could pull off Owen Hart. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I've shared and it with you. wouldn't have to change his name for the character. It's Owen. Owen is Owen. And I, I've, I've right. shared Colin's idea. I, I don't have the funding Perfect. for this project, but I could write it and direct it if anyone Cast wants him to. Now, Anything yeah. to plug yourself, huh? Why not? <laughs> Nobody but else is going to do it. He, he may as oh. well. You got to put yourself over in this world because no one else will. But, um, yeah, no shit. For, for those fans, just real quick, recommended viewing of Owen Hart matches. Um, 
watch the King of the Ring 94 if you can get through Art Donovan's play-by-play. If yeah. you can find that raw... How much does that guy weigh? Oh, horrible. If you could find... <laughs> <laughs> is he a businessman? Oh, he's talking about IRS. If Dude, you can find that... that guy. <laughs> yeah. If you can find Art Owen... Art Donovan, Jesus. First... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Owen versus Davy Boy for the European title in the tournament final, I think in February of 96. Um, Owen versus Brett, the cage match, the WrestleMania 10. Yeah, Owen- they can just, just go on YouTube, search Owen Hart. You'll find them all. You'll find oh, all yeah. these good matches. So, uh, sing. Dan the Man. It's Dan the Man underscore WWTF Twitter. Just, just the man, the man oh. underscore WWTF. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, not, not to, not to risk plugging our competition, but when I set the, uh, I, I started in professional wrestling. I was a syndicated column on NoDQ.com, an old sports entertainment website. Yeah. Aaron Rift, who's a pretty, pretty well-known commentator in the social media world, was my first follow when I created that Twitter account. So shout out to my old boss there. Beautiful. Beautiful. And where is our Twitter? Say again. Where is our Twitter? Our Twitter is Wrestling Future. That's no G. That's Wrestling Future. And you can find Absolutely. Wrestling Wrestling with the Future on Twitter as well as Facebook, both groups, private and public. Yes. I, uh, I've decided to leave up the public group at Mike Messier's behest. So, uh, I concede it to you. Okay. Thanks, buddy. You got, got one victory over me. I got me. one victory. I got the, well, the, 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 the public page is so that people can find us as a gateway to the private group. True. About that? Yeah. The, the, the link, the link to the private group is on that page. And, uh, of course, if you want to join the private group and we got a lot of members now, well, like almost 200 of them, right? Yes. Yep. Or, well, we or want more. Yeah. Um, so uh, just answer a couple of questions and you're in. Easy They're real easy questions. Um, you want to find me on Facebook? It's real easy, Angelo DiCipio. Or you can find me through my psychic page, Psychic Angelo, at Facebook. Real easy. You can find me on Twitter at the Psychic Angelo and at Wrestling Future. Easy enough. For Mike Messier, MikeMessier.com. For Dan the Man Sebastiano. At the man underscore WWTF. I am Psychic Medium Angelo. Just Angelo. Hey, yo. <laughs> what are you laughing at, man? <laughs> He's smirking at me. You know what? You wait till we get off here. <laughs> uh, for these two goofballs, I'm Psychic Medium Angelo. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Happy wrestling. We'll see you next time.